Listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282 BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220 HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. Hello, my name is Jeff, and I am the host of the KBOO Show, A Matter of Public Records. Mark E. Smith, singer and driving force of the band The Fall, was born on March 5, 1957, and I have put together a special show to celebrate. It will feature music by The Fall, some spoken word pieces by Mark E. Smith, music that influenced The Fall, and bands that were inspired by The Fall. You can hear the show on March 6th, starting at midnight, exclusively on KBOO, as part of our All Thrills, No Frills Winter Membership Drive. Please consider making a donation today. Thank you. Hey there, my good people of KBOO. Tune in to KBOO on Wednesday, March 8th, for a full 24 hours of International Women's Day special programming. That's right. From 12 a.m. to 12 a.m., you'll hear content produced by, for, and about women. From interviews with women from all walks of life to panel discussions on intersectionality, you'll also hear playlists celebrating trailblazers and so much more. Again, that's International Women's Day special programming all day long on Wednesday, March 8th, here on KBOO. Check out kboo.fm slash IWD for the broadcast schedule. And don't forget to show your support for content like this at kboo.fm slash give. Hello, and welcome to Pathways, where you are invited to join us for a visit with leaders in personal and cultural transformation. I'm your host, Donald Altman. We have a very special guest with us today. This is someone who is known worldwide as a revered spiritual teacher and author. And I'm uh, fortunate to consider him a friend and also a teacher. For over 45 years, Lama Suryadas has studied Zen, Vipassana, Yoga, and Tibetan Buddhism with a, the great masters of Asia, including the Dalai Lama's own teachers. He has twice completed the traditional 
three-year meditation cloistered retreat at his teacher's Tibetan monastery. He's an authorized Lama and lineage holder in the Nyingmapa School of Tibetan Buddhism. He is the founder of the Dzogchen Center in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and with the Dalai Lama, he founded the Western Buddhist Teachers Network. He's also active in interfaith dialogue and charitable projects in low-income countries. Lama Suryadas has been featured in numerous publications in major media, including ABC, CNN, MSNBC, all the alphabet that you have there. <laughs> also, the Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, and many, many others. He's a regular contributor to the Be Here Now Network with his Awakening, Awakening Now podcast. And later on, we'll, we'll share with you information how you can get to his work. Suryadas is the author of 14 books, including the national bestseller, Awakening the Buddha Within, Tibetan Wisdom for the Western World. Now, you may have remembered he was on Pathways to talk about his wonderful and beautifully illustrated children's book, The Yeti and the Jolly Lama. It's an honor and a pleasure to have Lama Suryadas here with us today. Hello, Suryadas, and welcome to the Pathways show. Hi, Donald. Thank you. And welcome to everyone. Nice to be with you all on this beautiful wintry day. Yeah, well, it's interesting you should say that. It's actually snowed here in Portland this morning. So uh... That's not allowed. <laughs> I live in Massachusetts. Right. We keep the snow. <laughs> it's it's your domain over there. You know, I I wanted to keep the show a little more open ended today. I mean, you've had you have a lot of books, and uh, some of those may come up in our conversation. But you have an extensive background, and so I thought we could talk about uh, your history of spiritual seeking and maybe the challenges that face spiritual seekers today. So we may uh, jump around with that a little bit. Uh, and I know you're writing a memoir. Tell us a little about about that. I mean, you have all these this incredible history. You went to India as a young man. What what? Tell us a little about the memoir. What was it like to actually put some of those ideas, experiences, memories on on paper? Well, I don't know yet because I'm still in the process. But I do have a 350 page manuscript, so I have a few thoughts about the process. Um, I love writing. I've always been writing and reading and speaking and I don't know writing poetry and etc I love story I love theater and movies somehow by good karma or grace or thank God for the non-theistic Buddhist Dharma as I like to say um, I end the minute that I graduated from college in 1971 I flew to London and went overland to India and uh, if you asked my late mother she'd say and he never came back. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I mean, what was it that that captured you about going to India? When did that seed get planted in you? Hmm. Well, I grew up Jewish on my parents' side, but it wasn't very interesting. And after getting bar mitzvah at the age of 13, I kind of didn't pay much attention to anymore and got interested in psychology and philosophy and creative writing and consciousness expansion mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah. counter groups and gestalt workshops and things like that. I guess the first time I heard or thought about something like Buddhism was when I saw the Vietnamese Buddhist monk in his orange or yellow monastic robes sitting on the corner in a crossroad in Saigon in 1963 mm -hmm. self-immolating himself 
that was a striking image in the news. Yeah, that's something I, I I'll never forget. That seared itself in my memory. And of course, I was 12 years old and I could barely know where Vietnam was, not to mention what's a monk. We don't have those in Judaism. What's a Buddhist? We didn't have that in Long Island. <laughs> we didn't have anything in Long Island. <laughs> and beaches, it was great. Nothing very bad. <laughs> Nothing complicated or ambiguous uh, <laughs> like life. Um, so you went on this And I asked my quest. father, I asked my yeah. father, why would somebody do that? What's that? And he said, oh, don't worry about it. It's the Vietnam War. These things happen in war. Mm. So that's as far as I got in, in that. And then I guess I met Baba Ramdas, Allen Ginsberg, and other philosophers and teachers, um, Houston Smith, in... Uh, college and then when I graduated I went to India. That's pretty much what happened. I thought I want to look into these things, look for God. Yeah, you met some of the seminal features then in this who were in this country at the time. I did. I was, you know, lucky. I was avid bright eyed and bushy tailed young seeker or something. I won't say intellectual. I was more like a a jock and, you know, outdoors lover, but um I certainly read a lot in my whole life as did my family, parents. So I went to India and met a lot of the great gurus of that time and made a big impression on me, needless to say. So I stayed there most of the 70s and 80s and did Lama training and became a Buddhist Lama. Uh, my first guru was Dim Karoli Baba Maharaj, Maharaj, oh, yeah. Baba Ram Das's guru, who gave me my name, Krishna Das's guru, um, Dr. Larry Brilliant, the epidemiologist's guru. Uh, um, yeah, and you had a lot of you had a lot of teachers. How I did, and now you're a teacher. It seems mm-hmm. that it's changed a lot in terms of you know there's a microscope on teachers nowadays, right? Especially spiritual teachers, and well, it's like living have... in a fishbowl, like celebrities. Um, you know, I'm kind of big frog in a small pond, but yeah. Uh, but you asked an important question, I think, before for everyone, which is, what are the challenges, uh, you know, in doing this kind of thing, pursuing this path, going on this perennial quest, you know, the Grail quest today? Mm-hmm. And um, it's always been challenging. If I say it's not for yeah. everyone, you know, I don't want to make it sound like only for the chosen few or too esoteric, but. You know, we live in a very postmodern, secular, scientistic, materialistic society. So religion has, you know, kind of sunk in like the majors that people, act, you know, uh, are attracted to in the modern time. Engineering and science has come way up. And religion, right. philosophy, you know, poetry, who reads poetry anymore? Of course, there's a poetry culture, but you know what I'm saying. And we have the social media culture now. So, you know, things have changed. Although I'm still writing books and giving talks, seminars and retreats and workshops with little interruption from the COVID. Yeah. How, you know, how can someone, you're raising the point for me, how can someone today take that spiritual quest? I mean... uh, Well, this is part of it, isn't it? You know... Pay, pay attention, seek, and you shall find, as Buddha said. 
Well, maybe that was Jesus. Seen one, you've seen them all. <laughs> Knock and it shall be open to you. So a quest means, you know, putting it in action, not just reading the books or the brochures and the, or the magazines. Right. And, and then and these days, right. you don't have to go across the world to learn about Eastern thought, Eastern philosophy, other religions. You can Google it. You can YouTube it. You can get podcasts delivered right to your ear or your yeah. watch. And but still it takes attention. And that's what you have to invest in it. Your right. own attention and time and interest and energy and discernment and you know, put yourself into it. Like even a vacation, you still have to get out of your rut and go. You can't just keep reading the book brochures <laughs> or watching the travel logs, you know, Rich Rick Steves or somebody on TV. You have to go and then you have a nice vacation theoretically and you rest and then you come back refreshed. So the spiritual quest also, it's a journey that we go on. It's a beautiful journey. We're not just on it together. And it, it's open to all. The chosen people are those who choose themselves, who choose to go, who feel, you know, many are called, but few choose to go. That's what I would say. <laughs> so let's go. Here we are. Now, the other thing is... Hurry up and meditate. (laughs) (laughs) Hurry up and do nothing. (laughs) Meditate as fast as you can. I mean, you did two, three-year meditation retreats in silence. Is that right? Most in silence. Most in silence, doing a lot of prostations. Yeah, I mean... It was chanting. Yeah, so to do that, I mean, you had to go deep... I mean, you're not skimming the surface. And I think one of the other challenges today, it's easy to, yeah, I can Google it. I can look at this and that. Oh, yeah, I know what it means. And it's just like skipping a stone across the surface of a lake. How important is it for us to, you know, really make a commitment to a, to a certain path? So it's very that? important. Um, commitment's a very important and interesting thing, you know, in life. So how important it is to make a commitment to, an intimate partner. I'm mm. not going to get to genders and issues. You know, it's important, but not the first a minute. I mean, if you have commitment issues, then that becomes a problem after a while. If you want to be with somebody, not if you don't. So if you want to, you know, go deeper into life and think about these things and be a seeker and look for the meaning of life and your own purpose and, how, you know, deal with life's big questions like, is there a God? If so, what kind or how many? What happens when we die? Um, why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? As Gauguin put it, um, you know, it, it's something you have to play with, work at. So in the beginning, there's the window, there's window shopping. You know, you asked about commitment. Mm-hmm. So I know these days people don't really window shop. They just, you know, click on Amazon or, you know, yeah. or, or they also have their meals delivered. And But n- not to exaggerate, there's a big world out there of 8 billion people and not everybody's getting their meals delivered by DoorDash or Amazon these days. Life goes on. The more things change, the more they remain the same. And in the perennial philosophy, in the spiritual quest, in the world of religions, of spirituality, of mysticism and include more shamanism, you know, uh, psychology, philosophy, self-knowledge, 
there's a lot going on and do yoga. Yeah, it seems like there's greater interest in the mystical side of things now that people are taking shamanic journeys and they're they're wanting to know more about that. And you talked about mysticism. I mean, we are in the grip, maybe the stranglehold of a materialistic view of things, right? So, and I think people crave this mystical experience. The, you know, there used to be miracles. It wasn't by location, the Buddha's teachings that often people aren't aware of, right? Things that um, my understanding- I didn't know Buddha, you were into that. But I see you have a book behind you called Travelers. So does that include bilocation and fly, you know, human flight and other? Uh, yeah, actually it does. Miraculous powers that we talk about. Good. So, you know, it's not something I emphasize, but like here's an interesting book from the Himalayan Museum in oh. New York about the flying yogis of the Tibet. Flying mystics. You know, so these are not bestsellers, but you can find these things. If you're a little more of a light reader like me, there's Tintin in Tibet. Oh, no, what's what's that about? Well, Tintin is a great figure in world literature, like Asterix. Oh, okay. He's a superhero before superheroes. He's a boy. Yeah. He has a dog. He he is in many different countries. This one, this it's a series. He's in Tibet. So yeah. these things are around. It's not just in Tibet. It's everywhere. It's in Japan, China, India, but it's also in the Middle East, the Holy Land, and no doubt the Americas. Um, it's an evergreen uh, subject, but we have to be, if you're called, if you feel called to go on the journey. So a little window shopping and then a trying it on and seeing if it fits and then buying it and taking it home. And you can still return it, I guess. Um, so commitment comes after a while. Without commitment, it's yeah. hard to get deeper into an intimate meaningful relationship with a significant other but you don't have to force it and i'm not of the school as perhaps too many are of saying you have to have faith it's hard to fabricate that but one could get interested and one could check it out and see if there's something worth pursuing just like with a relationship you don't have to have faith that the computer put you two together so you should stay together forever. You check it out. And if it, you know you, you don't feel like being with that person, then you know, you're you free to move on. You know, one everybody of the has to be married their whole life. Some people, you know, have other lifestyles and arrangements. Yeah. Has your spiritual path reduced suffering in your life? I know that's kind of a cure of Buddhism. No, definitely. Yeah, Buddhism... Uh, one one of its main goals is to reduce and alleviate suffering and confusion. So uh, it definitely has, as long as we are embodied in, in a human or animal form in, in a mortal coil, then there's aging, there's illness, there's imperfections, there's, you know, small irritants like a cold or a boo-boo on your finger or your knee. There's larger ones like what you're born with, maybe one leg shorter than another, or some biochemical imbalance. I don't know what I'll pick on diabetes or something. But all of these are treatable. They don't necessarily have yeah. to make you unhappy. You know, um, there's a big difference between pain and suffering. As a wise guy, a Buddhist wise guy said, in life, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. So you can right. make a distinction there. It's like, 
you might have a headache, but how much do you suffer from it? Do you, do you worry about it? Do you get tense? Do you give yourself a, you know, a migraine? Or do you just have a headache and, you know, you deal with that? Maybe you take some analgesic. Maybe you relax. Maybe, you, you know, to breathe and take a nap and sit out in the sun. I don't know. But um, how much you suffer from it is very much up to us. So an important, excuse me, principle of self-mastery, Don, which you would know much very well. And this relates also to other parts of life, your relation to substances, whether it's drink, drugs, food, or other things we get addicted to, sexaholism, gambleaholism, etc. Um, it's not what happens to you, but what you make of it that makes all the difference. And we can enact or actualize more agency consciously, intentionally, and have mindful living rather than mindless living. And without talking about Buddhism or religion or whether you have a faith or believe in God, I'm not talking about that. Just think about the benefits of mindfulness. And if you're not familiar with that subject, let me just say it's the opposite of mindlessness. Look <laughs> at the downsides of that. Who advocates mindlessness and heedlessness? Except maybe on New Year's Eve when you drink too much and you party. Mm. But, I mean, that's the rare occasion, and I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying once a year... It does not a life make so going to an enlightenment mm. weekend does not make your life enlightened but it could plant the seed and the seed could get watered and protected and fertilized and you know it, seeds grow into flowers and trees and hopefully fruits and not too many nuts and flakes yeah. <laughs> right you were kind of talking about being Spiritual kind fruits. yeah you're talking about being kind to ourselves uh, yeah. And and when you're talking about the kind of you know the the aches and pains and the kind of suffering we have in a human body, human mind, what do you think is behind the desire of creating uh, artificial intelligence and blending that with with humans so that we're better, we're greater, we can live forever? <laughs> well, I'm glad you have that kind of plan. I I do too. <laughs> with you all the way. <laughs> Be better, kinder, forever, whatever you said. That's fine. There's also going outside and looking at the sky and breathing the air and enjoying the weather, whatever it is, and the sun. And you know, if you talk about miracles, getting up every morning is a miracle and being alive. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because I wanted to ask you, what are the miracles today? And being together like this is a miracle. How great is this? Yeah. To talk about this. And we're free too. Not every country you have the freedom to. And we have these electronic, um, skillful means helping us. So it used to be we would only could do it in this in person. When I traveled around the country on book promo tour or workshops, lecture tour, just like you do. Um, and then it used to be you could only do this by you know radio or something, or TV. You go to a TV station or do it on the phone if we were far away. But now we can see each other and feel each other and create an ambiance or even have a group here, be looking at 20, 50, 100 people and each in their ambiance and create something together. So there's a lot, this is a miracle. Yeah. Tell I mean, me, so, uh, they didn't even have light in the old days. How did those yeah. people make those cave paintings 20,000 years ago in the dark using a stick? So we've come a long way since then. How much are we happier safer sane or more you know have more mm. being i don't know and i'm not saying we should go back to the caves we'll live in teepees like the native peoples all i'm saying is the more things change the more they stay the same mm. 
desire and greed, selfishness, yeah, ignorance and confusion. It just continues. So this physical suffering and pain, we talked about that. How about mental anguish, anxiety, sure. insecurity, not to mention mental disease, the extreme. I mean, we're all neurotic, but pathological and psychotic is a little extra. Yeah, another thing I wanted to ask you about was your, your, your you mentioned your gurus early on. And how important was it for you to have a guru? And what did that mean to you? How did that uh, help you? move forward and why did you have more than one this is an answer to your question about guru so i wrote this story somebody illustrated it brilliantly i showed this to my wife i said which one am i honey and she said "Mm, both i think you're the yeti and the jolly love and that's what it's like (laughs) you come as the yeti you know you're the unformed block you're Mm. the child you're the teenager you're the hormone riddled homo sapien you know let's sit pick on men male teenager and you start to think about is this how i want to live just follow my parents mm. way. is there a better life is there another way uh, we're evolving you know consciously and socially too and so you go you get tamed you find a way to refine your nature and smarten up and not just intellectually you know, there's so many different kinds of intelligence, as has been well studied. IQ and EQ, emotional intelligence, and somatic intelligence, and spatial intelligence, and relational intelligence, and existential intelligence, which is about existence. So, religion and spirituality. So, I think, you know, the Yeti um, meets the peaceful, loving, nonviolent mm-hmm. yogi, hermit, lama who's sitting there by his fire smiling at the world and praying for world peace and being peaceful himself. And the Yeti wants to jump on him and kill him and eat him because that's what hungry <laughs> do in the yeah. mountains, you know, where they don't have DoorDash or Amazon to deliver food. And hungry animals, you know, nature, red in tooth and claw, as the poet says. Mm. But then the Yeti approaches and the light and the warmth and the smile of the the, medita- the monk the, doesn't change the yogi doesn't change and the yetis kind of feel peaceful for once and he kind of like he kind of puts himself down and it's almost like he's bowing down he's being like pacified and that's like symbolic of the journey that i went on being a three sport or five sport jock in high school and uh so on in the 1950s and 60s and you know everybody in america was talking about progress but what kind of progress are we really after? Like conscious evolution and a better society and more social justice and equality. And, you know, now we're dealing with so many of the same things we're dealing with then. Yeah. How do we evolve is a big question innerly. How does my inner Yeti become more enlightened, more divine, better? So we work on ourselves and together and each other practice mindfulness rather than sleepwalking semi-consciously around having all kinds of accidents that are not accidents you know like mindlessness at the wheel or being intoxicated you have all kinds of accidents you're right yeah (laughs) so you start to learn how to live a better life and become more like the loving and kind and patient uh, fearless well i think that's a beautiful idea of the yeah the, the yeti and the 
the Lama and that we find both in ourselves. You know, we're right at about the end of our time. Could you have a quick maybe blessing or chant that you could share with us? Maybe something, a favorite blessing? Yes, I would love to. Uh, thank you. Chanting, sacred music and dance, you know, physical yoga and breathing is all very much a part of the contemplative life of all the world's religions, spiritual paths, and it's at others. So in Tibetan Buddhism, we do a lot of this, and it's an important part of my practice. I'm just passing this on to you. You know, you might try it yourself. We'll go to a kirtan, some chanting event with Krishna Das or Dev Pramal or, you know, somebody who knows how to get you going. It's not just a spectator sport, listening to a concert, but actually get in the mosh pit of the yoga of chanting and dancing and chanting. Have I said chanting yet? And breathing and chanting. And I recommend it. So this is the Dalai Lama, one of Dalai Lama's favorite prayers that he always says in public in English. I'm enchanting Tibetan first. It's only four lines, shloka verse, and then in English. And Dalai Lama is one of my favorite and personal teachers. He's still alive. He's 89. Think of him kindly. May he live long. Jancho Samcho Kripoche. Make panake gyochi, ge panyampa me payan, kane kandu belwa shau. Where the lamp of enlightenment has not yet been lit, may it be ignited, may it illumine. Where it has been lit, may it blaze up and warm and illumine and heal the entire universe and all beings with whom we are inseparably interconnected. Thank Love you. Love one and all. Thank you. Well, Come. thank you, Lama Suryadasa. And uh, there's Come. a lot more we could explore. We've run out of time today. But let's tell our listeners about your Zochin.org site, and that's D-Z-O-G-C-H-E-N.org. And that's where you can learn more about uh, Lama Suryadasa's community and programs that he offers, and many of those are virtual, some are, are now live again. And then there's Surya.org, S-U-R-Y-A.org, where you can learn about his books, uh, all his books, and also more about him and his uh, biography there. So for those who tuned into the Pathway Show late, this is your host, Donald Altman, author of several books on mindfulness, including my newest, The Mystical and spiritual novel, Travelers. Nonfiction books are Simply Mindful, a seven-week course and personal handbook for mindful living, The Mindfulness Toolbox, and One Minute Mindfulness. Information about my course and books and CDs can be found at mindfulpractices.com. In a second, I'll tell you how you can rewind and replay this interview whenever you want via the internet or as a free podcast. Today, we've been visiting with author Lama Suryadas, a celebrated Tibetan Lama and teacher as well as a leader in the fields of personal growth and spirituality. I want to say thank you to all our listeners for tuning into Pathways, which is broadcast and streamed via KBOO-FM, Sunday mornings at 8.30. You're tuned to listener-supported community radio KBOO, Portland, Oregon, in the beautiful Willamette Valley. KBOO is hiring a full-time web coordinator 